Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand What makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Thank you so much for being here. It's a really hard story, probably one of the hardest stories that I've heard this week. I'm chatting with Kayla and Kayla grew up in Brazil. She describes her mother as psychopathic. She was beaten from the time that she was a tiny, tiny child and she 
doesn't ever remember a single ounce of love. If she was in trouble, she had food withheld from her. It's, it's just a really hard story to hear. The story also involves sexual abuse. So please, if you do get triggered by themes of sexual abuse, uh, take care in whether you want to listen to this episode or not. Everything that Kayla says is her truth and it's so important that we hear it. So please join me now for Kayla's story. Kayla, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to meet you. You have been a listener of the podcast and you were good enough to connect with me and let me know that the stories had been healing for you and that you wanted to share your own story. Why is sharing your story so important to you? Well, first off, thank you so much. Thank you for your work. I believe the same way I connected with other people hearing uh, other people listening to other people's stories, I would like to be able to, to do the same for, for the others because it's definitely very healing to know that you are not alone. You're not the only one going through those things. Yeah, absolutely. So Kayla, you grew up in Brazil and you describe your mum as psychopathic and abusive. What are the very earliest memories of your mother? All right, so the very early memories I have of my mother is first, there was never I love you, hugs, or anything like that ever. But I remember that I was four and I was trying to shower on my own because she was, would not take care of us properly. So I figured very early that if I want to, you know, have shower or, or brush my teeth, I had to figure. And I was trying to shower on my own and I was only washing my belly. And then she came in the bathroom and she's like, let me see how you do it. And I was showing, putting soap in my belly and she laughed and oh, I was so stupid. And she left the bathroom. And this is the first memory I have of her. Of, of her telling you that you were stupid. Yes, yes. Because yeah. I didn't know how to wash myself properly, let's say. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so your mum was very abusive. Can you tell us a bit about the physical abuse and when that happened to you? Definitely. A little bit of background story, if you allow me. I am the oldest. So my mother was 17 when I was born. And she was actually 18 when I was born. She was 17 when she got pregnant. And my father left. So he never not even put his name on the documents. And then she had two other kids with different fathers. And I say that because she would always mention how she didn't find a man because of us. And then she would be us every single day. So we would live with my great-grandmother. So my great-grandmother was very religious and it was a very very hard environment because I would be going to the church and learning how to respect your parents and go home and be beaten for absolutely everything. If I laughed out loud or if I walked too fast or if I sat on the couch and I, I didn't sit properly in, in, in her opinion. For any, any, for any reason, we would get beaten or we would not have the food that day or lunch or, or dinner or anything like that. 
Yeah, so your mother was just beating you for everything that was happening and what does that do to you as a, a little girl? What are you just living constantly in fear? Yes, this was exactly where I was. I would be all the time worried because sometimes I would be sleeping. She would say that it was not time to be sleeping anymore. It was already 6.30 a.m. And she would also, my mother is white and black and I have this curly hair, right? And she would not know what to do with my hair. When, for example, we have Christmas or something important and she would have to show us for other people, she would take care of our hair to just not look crazy and none other people judge her as a mother. But it was actually the worst because she would pull my hair and my sister as well, very aggressively. And it was horrible to be all the time worried and not knowing what would, what would, how your day would be like. It was very complicated to grow up like that. Yeah, and that's right, isn't it? You just feel like you don't know what's going to happen next. Exactly. It's, it's very scary for a little girl. I know that there was also some withholding of food. Can you talk about that? Yes. And also going back to the, the color, uh, my mother would constantly mention that I was dark, I was too dark, I was too black, uh, my color was not right, and I looked like my father. And when, when it comes to the food, my mother would, would you just punish us with the food. So what happens that when I was six years old, my mom gave my sister, three years younger than me, to my grandma, and then she met my stepdad. And they both were aligned with this punishments with us. So that, and then that was me, six, and my brother, uh, about two, three years old. And we moved to, to live on top of his mother's house in one room, one room only for everybody. But when we were just at home, anything we did that day that was not right, would result in going to sleep without eating the whole day. So we would wake up and having to be sitting in this, on the floor or and later came a, a bench that was green, a wood bench. And we would, me and my brother, would, we want to play or do something, but we knew that anything we do would result in not eating and also my stepfather would get a piece of bread, put butter on, and he would put it on the table. That, and he would pretend he, he left. He would pretend he went downstairs and he would make the noise of the stairs. And me and my brother, he would ask us to sit and look into the bread. And sometimes my brother, for being young, would go ahead and try to eat the bread. And he was already watching us behind the wall. So he would come from then and he would say that we were stealing food, he knew it, they would do, and he would be us with usually the belt with the parts that you used to close. And he would use, he would use that to, to be us. So he would use the buckle of the belt to hit you if you were looking at the food or touching the food yeah. because you were starving probably. 
Yes, we are very under the property weight, extremely thin, very thin. I was bullied my whole life in school because I was very, very, very thin. And I even have pictures from this time and I, I can't believe nobody did anything because you can see clearly that this kid doesn't eat enough. And what age were you when your stepfather came into your life? Six. I was six years old. Oh, right. And so nobody was able to help you or was there anybody around that was was noticing what was happening and they just weren't doing anything about that? So that was my aunt. She was a maid and in Brazil, she would just sleep over in her, let's say, boss's home. She would sleep there Monday to Friday, Monday to, to Saturday, sorry. She would come home on Sundays. So sometimes she would just ask my mother if she could let me go with her. And I would just help with, you know, cleaning the house and do the things that she would do. But at least I would uh, have food and she would take care of me. She was the only one who would sometimes step in. She would also send me money, not that much. She's not make a lot of money as a maid, but my mother never worked at either my stepfather at the time. So my mother would always ask her for money, ask everybody actually in the family for money. And we, the place where we grew up was very, very, very poor where I grew up. And my aunt, she would try to send money and say, hey, this is for Kayla and Gabriel, my brother, to eat, you know, make sure to buy food for them. My mother would use the money to buy beers. And she would tell me to tell my aunt that I got the money, that, I, that she bought food for us. And if I say anything, of course, the punishment would be very severe. Yeah. And so your stepfather was sexually abusing you is that right yes can yes. you can you tell us how that came about yes so as i said we would live in this room on top of his mother's house so it's important to describe the house because so you would have the, the regular home, right? And you would go all the way into the house to go on top of the stairs. And he, there was three bedrooms. One bedroom would sleep his nephew who would come, let's say every 15 days because he would work in a, in a place that would require traveling. So this room would be the majority of the times empty. And there was a second room where he, three of his sisters would sleep together. And there was this room where I would sleep me and my mother and him. And so my mother and he would just sleep on the bed and me and my brother on the floor. First, they would have sex in the front of us. I believe we started right there. We were very young to see that. We didn't understand, I remember. That affected my brother a lot. And after that, he with this twin bed and he put this bed right next to the bed. And then he told my mother that I should be sleeping there and my brother stay on the floor. And then he put a, a sheet as if it was a wall 
dividing the two beds. And as I was sleeping, he would put his hand under and it touched me. And sometimes they would be watching TV while he was doing that. I would, you know, say mom and ish. And then she would say, shut up. She would say, shut up. And sometimes also he would say, you know, for example, Sunday afternoon, you'd say, sit here in the bed to watch, let's watch, let you guys watch TV. And then we would be excited. And he would, he's, and he would be, and I didn't understand. I would say, more like, she was right there as well, sitting on the bed, and she would say, shut, shut up, stop being a liar. She would all the time say that I was a liar, and she would always tell the whole family how I was a liar, and it was, it was very confusing to me because she was clearly, she could see. He would also, uh, so I said, I can't sleep in this room anymore. I'm going to sleep in this sec. There's another bedroom that I said that it was his nephew that was empty. So I start to sleep in his nephew's bedroom and the abuse escalated. I would wake up and he was already putting his in my, in it. Sorry, he just. And I would say, if I would cry, you know, be loud. He would say, oh, that means you don't want to watch tomorrow. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm getting here. So many times I would just close my eyes. And, you know, and I would pray every night. and say, oh, God, I hope he doesn't come. And then he would come and I would just say, my grandma really told me that if you pray, God, Answer you. So I would be very confused and very resentful towards God when he would come. Sometimes he would only, quote unquote, only and ask me to watch. Sometimes he would pull my hand. I don't want to be too graphic. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and I start to sleep in the, the, the sisters, his sister's uh, room. But they said that uh, I moved too much, even though I was on the floor. They said that I moved too much, that I couldn't sleep there anymore. So I started to sleep on the top. My mother, I tried to, you know, ask my mother for help. And she told me to sleep on the top of the house, which didn't have a roof, it was just the top of the house. So I slept there the majority of the years. And the abuse just escalate even more because you could go there. Yeah. Oh, I just want to acknowledge that little girl right now because that's that's just such a hard, hard place that you found yourself and no escape, nobody to help you. It's, yeah. And, and there's, there's really two betrayals there, isn't there? You've got the betrayal of this man who is forcing himself on you as a child, but you also have 
the abandonment of your mother who didn't even acknowledge you were obviously crying out for help and your mother or any of the aunties nobody nobody helped you is that in in Brazil is that part of the culture to for men they will get their their own way and nobody will interfere with that is that a cultural thing as well I would say so unfortunately all my friends in school was abused at some time sexual abuse is something that happened to me not only with my stepfather they actually my very first abuse was with my cousin who was 18 and I was four in mm. my grandmother's house but was already also my cousin's father abused me as well when I was playing in her house one time I was seven so I, I, I'm not saying all the men in Brazil abuse children, but there, has, there are some aspects of the culture that contributes for this behavior where the man is, you, you can't question a man and the woman must should behave. And then, for example, I have a friend who, who was raped and then she went to, to say something. She was by, was by her stepfather who did that. She went to the police department and then the guy said, oh, you were wearing those shorts at home? Well, you know. So I believe that, that there are some aspects of the culture that allows this behavior to continue for sure. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah. Yes. I want to go back to when you were talking about your mother and she was a racist within your own home. Can you talk a bit more about that and what you had to deal with there? 
Yes, definitely. So every day, my mother would call me a word that is encardida in Portuguese, which means when you have this white shirt that gets dark and you even feel clean, it's still dark. So she would call me encardida, she would call me dirty. She would always talk about how my hair was really, really ugly. And one time, when I was seven, I was at school and this this photographer came and said that uh, oh tomorrow everybody's going to take pictures it costs five uh, let's say dollars and we need the parents to sign here we have all princes and we're all excited right in school i was oh my god i never nobody took pictures of me especially princess and go home you know as fast as i could and i told him mom tomorrow this photographer is gonna go there and and then i was just so excited telling her you just have to sign here because five has please i really want to do it. and then she just grabbed me by the shoulders and looked at me and shaked me and she said have you ever seen a black dirty with this hair a princess so black so dirty like you have you ever seen a princess like that and I said no and then she said yeah you're not gonna take any pictures like a princess if you want I can sign the paper I can give you the five dollars but you won't take pictures as a as a princess I said but what a, figure out she said figure out so she signed because she didn't want to be the only parent who did that but she made sure to cut me off and tell me that I wouldn't be allowed to dress like a princess. So next day I got there and then all the girls were already, you know, in the line to, to get dressed like a princess. And then I told the guy, oh no, when it was my time, he was like, what, what, which princess you want to, you want? I said, no, 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 I don't want a princess. You have something else. And he said, yeah, I have this fire attendant here. And <laughs> this is what I used to take my picture. And I cried in the bathroom that day. But you know what? It's fine because I flew out of the country years later. But that that was the way she would have found always to, to cut me off, to, to show me that I was below just because of my color. So for a very long time, every time I would go to the beach or I would be under the sun for some reason, I would be very concerned. I would be thinking, oh my God, I'm getting darker. You know, I can't, you know, I would, I would chase the, the, the shower, I would try to not be on the side as much because what is hard in Brazil, <laughs> growing up in Brazil, because I would be very concerned about getting dark. Oh, it's so sad. How old were you when you, when that happened? I was seven. Oh, it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? And it's, it's so hard to understand how a mother can do that to their own child. I mean, there's so many mothers who are like that, but it's hard for us to understand it because mothers are supposed to give us some sort of love. It's, it's like almost, it's the opposite of love, isn't it? It's just abuse. It's just, it's just hate and fear. It's hard to understand. Was, was that behaviour directed at your brother also or the other children? Yes, there are two episodes that were very that I, I can't forget. Uh, my brother would get bitten all the time because he we were not allowed, for example, to play outside 
we are allowed to only in certain days we could watch kids playing on the on the window what was very hard because we would just see there be there on the window seeing all the kids playing and they would say come downstairs now let's play and we were not allowed ever so we sometimes we were not allowed to be on the window either so it depends of the day and my brother would you come home he would you play he would stay outside and play so when he would get upset he would get severe he would get really bit my mother would put her knees on top of his neck she would also bite him and her favorite was get our head and and pull against the wall she would love to do that she, it was her favorite but she would be my brother and she he pee his pants I would try my best to, you know, guide them because when I say them, because my sister would always be sent back home and then something would happen, my grandma would take her. Once my grandma took her since a very early age, she had this connection, you know, with her that she didn't have with the rest of us. But my brother, he would sometimes would escape and would sleep on the streets because he he didn't want to come back home and I would be sick worried about him. My brother was a very talented person. He was able to learn how to play uh, instruments only watching people. He would make songs. He was, the way he would do with all of this trauma was different from me. I would always try my best to not get beat, try my best to do everything correct. My brother was more, he would externalize this, he would, you know, make people hear that he was upset. I can't forget was one time I went to the supermarket with my sister and she was there. We are without eating since Saturday. This was Sunday night. We, we didn't eat since Saturday morning. And my mother asked us to go to the supermarket together. And my sister, got a packet of cookies, let's say a small Oreo, and then she put under her, inside her underwear. And then somebody saw on the supermarket and asked to, to bring the parents. And my mother went there. And then when we went home, my sister was, was very, very bitten. It was um, horrible. She go to the hospital because she was bleeding, and it was hard for me to uh, to forget those things to 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 not blame myself as the oldest. So what I would do is when we were hungry for a long time, I would tell them stories. Once I was the only one that knew how to read for a while because I was the first one to go to school, right? I was the oldest. So I would just tell them stories and everything I would read in school, I would tell them. And after a while, I wasn't allowed to read anymore to them. So I would decorate the things that I would read in the library, the school, and I would tell them when I would go home. So that would keep them entertained and then they would not do things that I consider wrong and get bitten. That's a beautiful way that you're trying to help your your brothers and sisters and what about school for you how did you manage going to school was that a place where you felt you could escape from home or what was that like for you so school would be sometimes would be the only 
meal I would have a day would be in my school because it was a public school. They would offer food once a day for, for the students. I would study afternoon, 1 p.m. to 2, 2 5. And I would have to walk to school uh, about 40 minutes to go and to come back hungry. My mother never took us. She never attended one single meeting unless it was something very required. But if it was just that she was forced to do, you know, because uh, the government would give her some money if we were in school at some point. So this is how she would try to make sure we were going to school just because she wanted to get paid. <laughs> paid. But... Other than that, we I always had this feeling that I was on my own. I I would not feel happy in school because there was a lot of bullying going on. As I said, I was extremely thin and people would make fun because the physical education shorts, even the smallest one, would not feel me. My legs were very thin, so people would make fun of me. I also had a lot of skin uh, problems because the place I grew up was not well, it was not sanitized, was not clean. So I would have some issues. And people knew that people with this type of specific problem on the skin was more like because you were poor and people would make fun of me. So it was a lot of bullying going on in school. The teachers, I had some kind teachers, but they had so many kids, so many things on their plates that they didn't want to actually see. The kids as individual, they just want to, you know, do their job and do their best. I don't blame them, but I really wish, I really wish somebody had stepped in. You know, I really, I can't, I can't deny. Sometimes I look back and I, I resent the fact that nobody did anything. Yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? To look back and just think, why didn't anybody help me? Because yes. when you're a little kid, you, you don't have the power to do anything. So it's, it's such a helpless place to be as a child. And your stepfather, how long did that abuse continue for? It continued until I turned 14 and left home. Yeah, it was every day. It was every day. If he was not doing, he would be watching us shower, take a shower. He would also cut my underwear as I put to, to wash or something. He would cut all of them. I never understood why. And he would be extremely controlling. As I said, couldn't sit this way, couldn't stand this way, couldn't say those words. You turn on the TV, you open the fridge without asking. It was just so much control going on. And so it was abused. It was, there was a lot of physical abuse. There was a lot of emotional abuse. I, I knew I would leave. I always knew I, I had to stay away from my mother as much as I could. She would always tell me that, for example, I would say things like, sometimes I really wish I could die. And she's like, why don't you do it? I wouldn't care. She would literally say that. Why don't you do it? Do it. She would say that. And so the, the, the sexual abuse continued. My mother knew. And when I was nine, I was in my grandma's house because it was Christmas. And I was watching this TV with my cousin who was 12, and that we were not supposed to be watching. It was, it was like late uh, night, 
TV show and everybody was drinking. Um, and also I think it's important to say that abuse in my family is going on for generations. So my mom's mother, she has a bullet in her belly because my grandpa shoot her one time. He was a police officer. So abuse in my, my home is something common. For example, this Christmas reunions, which I was and in somebody beating somebody, the police being called. Uh, so it was very common, something that my mother grew up watching. So me and my cousin was watching this show and there was a scene that was about sexual abuse. And that was the first time I saw that on TV. Because of course my stepfather would make sure to tell me to not say anything. And I told my cousin in secret, right? I said, oh, I want to tell you this secret. It's just a big secret, but this is exactly what my stepfather do to me every day. Well, the next day we would left over and every time we would go to my grandma, I would eat so much, as much as I could until I even not feel well. I would you know, have a reservation in my body. So next day was Sunday. My, my cousin wanted me to do something that I didn't want to play. I want to play with something else. And he got upset and he said, I'm going to tell you a secret. And he told uh, his mom who told my grandma. My grandma told me, is this serious? Is this real? I told her everything I said that he does a thing until a water coming out from his penis. She, you know, told my mother, she left, she left me there. She left, she, she, she he left and she took my brother. So she left me and my sister there. My sister also confirmed that was happening to her every time she was sending back home. And a few months go by, about like five months go by. One day my mom come to my school and pulled me by the arm and took me back home. And then she said, I went through that with my father and I didn't die. You won't die either. And I need you here to help me out. Because at this point, she already had two more children with him. And I was the oldest, so I would help her. So this is, this is she literally thought, once I went through that, I believe, right? It's, it's fine if you go through as well. So she's saying to you that she had to put up with sexual abuse and then it's okay for you. Yes. And so I was just confused there where you're talking about your grandmother. What did she do about that? Did she do anything at that time? No, no. no. She they had this conversation. She, she called my mother and it was this, let's say, meeting where she confronted her. Yes, she did. But now to the point she'll call the police or, or anything like that. Mm. Later, actually, Imt told me that if I went through the police, my mom would go through jail as well. And then she said, do you want your mom in jail, be beating? And I said, no, absolutely not, because I was, I was a very naive child. I really was. And I really did. If it was today, I'm 30, I, I would just say, I think my mother deserves to go through jail. But I was nine, I, I just said, no, I don't want my mother to go to jail. This is how people keep going with their lives as if nothing was happening. We're going to leave Kayla's story there for this week. It's, it's 
just impossible to believe that kids living in our world are going through this daily, but I don't think it's that much of an isolated case either. I feel like there are a lot of kids who really struggle every single day of their life. Join me next week for the conclusion of Kayla's story as she decides that she has to leave. She has to leave that home and she makes incredibly brave decisions for her own future. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at My Big Love Project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.